Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the, the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Uh, I'm thankful for our choir, for our musicians, for the youth. Thank you so much for leading us. I'm thankful to Jeff and Aiden in the back, in the sound booth, in the video booth, for helping us uh, keep doing what we're doing. I'm so thankful for the hours you guys put in. I meant to say this at the beginning, uh, but we will be in here at least one more Sunday. Uh, and I know there's a lot of you smiling because you know that when you take the floor up off of an almost 100-year building, you're going to find some stuff. So we found some things and we're doing it now. We're going to take care of it right now. And so I'm thankful to Bob and James and the trustees for their work on, on the sanctuary. We're in our third of five on a series on First Corinthians. And the first week we talked about God's inv invitation to partnership. Paul reminds the church in Corinth in his kind of his best preacher voice that we are broken individuals in a broken church serving a broken world, but I believe God does God's best work in the brokenness. Last week, Connor preached on Paul's unity passage in which Paul seems to put on kind of his teacher cap and he gets, he gets after the church a little bit. Connor showed that for Paul, even in conflict, the church should never forget its purpose and that is the thing that should unite us above all else. We are invited to that shared purpose. Now at this point, Paul has been both preacher and teacher to Corinth, but as I, as I worked through the passage this week, I heard a different kind of voice. I saw Paul wearing a different cap, and that it was that of a mentor. This man is trying to correct the Corinthian church on what, what is wisdom and what is foolishness. He's quoting old, wise passages. He's writing from a great deal of experience. And it's not angry or negative, but it does read to me as a mentor trying to guide his mentees. I can think of so many who have mentored me through the years 
And if I'm honest, a lot of my mentoring uh, has occurred from the screen or the pages of a book. I love, what I love about mentors is that they have these simple phrases or adages that you can remember. At an early age, I was, I was mentored by the great Jedi Master Yoda, who said, do or do not, there is no what, there is no try, absolutely. In more recent days, I've been mentored by uh, the character and soccer coach Ted Lasso, who has mentored me with little phrases, things like, taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse, isn't it? If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> Mr. Keating from Dead Poet Society still reminds me that you must strive to find your own voice because the longer you wait to begin, the less likely you are to find it at all. And I'm also constantly wrestling with the words of the philosopher and mentor Winnie the Pooh, who, who said, love is taking a few steps backward, maybe even more, to give way to the joy and happiness of the person you love. Hmm. FYI, you guys, I had a whole couple of pages of these and Adair said I had to whittle it down. <laughs> but if you want the appendix, I, let me know after. Of course, I've had actual human mentors in my life. I've had some good ones, some kind ones, some tough ones, and some, some ones that mentored more subtly as well. And I'm curious as to who has been a mentor to you. Was it a parent, a teacher, a friend, a business leader, a close pal, a pastor, a co-worker, or was yours a Jedi too, a Disney character, an author? I'm curious as to who you think of when you think of mentors. I asked Dawn in between services, I said, did you have mentors? She goes, I thought of a long list. And maybe some of you are there too. You have a long list that makes you thankful. New York Times columnist David Brooks wrote a book called The Second Mountain, and he talks about what it takes to be a good mentor. What, what makes a good mentor? Good mentors, he said, teach you the tacit wisdom embedded in any craft. Any book or lecture can tell you how to do a thing, but in any craft, whether it's cooking or carpentry or science or leadership, there are certain forms of knowledge that can't be put into rules or recipes practical forms of knowledge that only mentors can teach. A textbook can teach you the principles of biology, but a mentor shows you how to think like a biologist. I'd agree with that. A mentor's knowledge is different. Their guidance is different. It's, it's learned. It comes from the weight of experience. And honestly, I tend to trust a little bit more when it comes from a mentor. I don't know if you're there too, but I tend to trust a mentor more than I would a book or an article I read. Mentors come in all shapes and sizes. We have them in our personal lives, in our professional lives. Before taking this job, one of my ministry mentors said this, there are three secrets to ministry. One, preach Jesus. Two, care for your people. And three, don't dress like a kid. <laughs> so I'm working on it. <laughs> um, another mentor in ministry told me this, in ministry, always paddle toward the wave. <laughs> don't dare try to go around it. That's some mentor mentoring that can only be learned through experience. A few weeks ago, Connor and I got to eat lunch with some of our mentors, some of our retired pastors, Hal Brady, Gary Parrish, David Haygood. I mean, wow. <laughs> and just their presence mentored us. We sat there silent most of the time <laughs> and listened to their stories and their experiences. And we learned so much through just their presence. We need good mentors. Man. We 
really need good mentors. And, and Paul, to me, is doing mentoring in this passage. He's mentoring this church from afar. He can't be with them, but he loves them. And he's trying to give them some good thoughts on how to be the church from a distance. And he's got those quotable mentor passages too in 1 Corinthians. Bad company corrupts good character. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And Paul does his mentoring from quite a bit of experience. That's what makes him a good mentor. The guy has been through a lot of life, a lot of experience on the right side of history, but also on the wrong side. Remember, when we first meet Paul, his name is not Paul, it's what? Saul, and he's handling everybody's coats as they're stoning a disciple. He was a Pharisee intent on cracking down on this Jesus movement that was starting to infiltrate Judaism. And then Jesus knocked him off a horse with a lot of light, and Paul began the rest of his journey then, planting churches and mentoring them from experience, imparting knowledge that you can't learn anywhere else. And just before today's passage, Paul leads into it like this. This is what he says. Christ didn't send me to preach the good news with clever words. That way, Christ's cross won't be emptied of its meaning. Another good little mentor phrase. I heard an old preacher translate it this way. You don't need any special sauce. Let the steak speak for itself. And then comes verse 18. Paul, the mentor, writes to this troubled church in Corinth, listen to me. Trust me. Because this comes from experience. The message of the cross, the message that points to Christ being crucified, this thing we talk about all the time, it is foolishness. Eugene Peterson translates it this way. It seems like sheer silliness to those who are hell-bent on destruction, but it is the very way of salvation, and to us, it makes perfect sense. What is Paul doing? He's pointing them to the right image, to the focal point, Christ crucified. And Paul says, I know. It seems silly, doesn't it, to think that the violence of the act of the crucifixion of a Jewish rabbi could be anything but what it is. But it is so much more. The message of the cross is countercultural and kind of counter everything. And it seems foolish to a lot of people. Paul reminds me here, I was watching TV this week, he reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where George is feeling low, he's telling Elaine and Jerry, nothing's working out for him lately, things aren't going well, he's lost his job, he's lost in his relationships, he's had to move back home with his mom and his dad, and George says to Jerry and Elaine, he says, every decision I've ever made in my life has been wrong. <laughs> my life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. And Jerry says, maybe if every decision you've made is the wrong one, maybe in the future you should do the opposite of every instinct you have. <laughs> and do you remember George takes on the challenge and he walks up to a pretty lady at the bar and he, he thinks of everything he would normally say, something like, hi, I think you're very, you look very nice and I'd like to get your number. He, he thinks of that and he, and he does the exact opposite. Do you remember what he says? He says, excuse me, my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> And George spends the rest of that episode doing the opposite of all he has ever done. Somebody once said it this way, when all else fails, stop doing all else. <laughs> and that's George Costanza, and it sounds a lot like the theme of Paul. And Paul's understanding of the gospel, this mentor, is telling his friends and mentees to do the opposite. The gospel is the opposite of what you think it is. It's opposite of what the world thinks it is. Paul says, in God's wisdom... God determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased 
to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. It's foolishness. <laughs> Paul continues, and I, and I love this part. Look at your situation, he says. You guys aren't wise. Sorry, not many of you are powerful. Not a whole lot of well-to-do folks. You guys aren't high society. You're not very influential. It seems that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses. He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. <laughs> In his mentoring of this new church, Paul essentially says, you need evidence that God is working counter to the culture? Do you need evidence that God is using foolishness and not wisdom? Look in the mirror. <laughs> there are no scribes in here. There's no great philosophers. There's no system based on the values of Jews or Romans. There certainly isn't a body of believers made up of the important people of the Senate or the state. We are united by something different, something pretty much the opposite of what unites others, and they probably think we're nuts. We're fools. <laughs> and that just might be the beauty of it. There's an author named Kathleen Norris, and she writes this. She says, I probably feel the hand of Jesus in things, most in worship. She says, just to, just to look around at this motley crew assembled in his name, myself among them, lets me know how unlikely it all is. The whole lot of us, warts and all, just seems so improbable. So absurd, I figure that only Christ would be so foolish as to have brought us together. And that's Paul's point. The message of the cross is foolish. It is absurd. It is the opposite of what the world of wisdom and rules and knowledge would have us believe. And yet it is our focal point and it is the very thing that is saving us. The message of the cross. And friends, what is the message of the cross, I'm glad you asked. The message of the cross is forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. The message of the cross is sacrifice. It's saving you before saving myself. The message of the cross is last minute grace. Today you will be with me in paradise. The message of the cross is the end of death. The message of the cross is this, it's finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Sin, guilt, shame, Death, loneliness, meaninglessness, it's done. The work that was begun at creation has been accomplished. The message of the cross is the establishment of the new birth of a new kingdom through the death of the old. And wouldn't you know it, the message of the cross is foolishness to the systems and ideals and the conflicts and the circumstances of this world. And yet it is the message we need the most. This, what we're doing in here, it's foolishness, don't you think? What we do every Sunday, what we attempt to do throughout the week as a body together, it's hard for me, and maybe it's just me, it's hard for me to imagine that this church in Noonan, Georgia, in the midst of all the downtown churches, this congregation of the North Georgia United Methodist Conference, this one body of believers among many in our county, in the state, the country and the world, it's hard to imagine that we might have an impact in this world of almost 8 billion people. <laughs> Not to mention the brokenness in each and every one of us. When you look at the scope 
of that brokenness. When you look at the sheer number of folks who need relationship, who need Jesus, who need food and shelter and friends, it's hard to believe that we could really have any sort of tangible impact. And if you ask me, it seems foolish to hope that God might use us to change the world, to transform lives, to find newness in our own hearts and minds. And perhaps that's the ultimate foolishness. Perhaps that's what Paul really gets at. That's the final message of the cross, and that is the the message of the resurrection. One word, hope. And truth be told, says the mentor to this church, such a thing may seem foolish, but in God's reality, it is the only true wisdom there is. And to many, that kind of hope looks foolish and childish. I'm reminded of counselor Mandy Hughes, who who writes this. Is it because... She says, is it because of their innocence that the wisest people I know are also the most playful and young at heart? (laughs) And why the wisest among us so often appear, at least by conventional standards, to be the most foolish? (laughs) She says, the wisest among us are like Master Yoda, who laughs as he rummages through Luke's possessions, unceremoniously flinging each precious item into the air. They're like Dumbledore whose eyes twinkle as he tells Harry Potter one can never have enough socks. They are like Gandalf, a disturber of the peace who conjures fireworks resembling dragons, and they are like Grandma Tala, the village crazy lady in Moana, who dances to a rhythm no one else can hear. She says, I long to be like each of these old and wise, but mostly young and free and foolish. (laughs) At the end of my life, she says, I hope to be more like I was at the beginning only seasoned a little bit by experience. Last week, one of you left a note in my box. And all it said was a quote from Max Lucado. It goes like this. We all need the reminder, the heart of the human problem is the heart of the human. Hmm. And I called him later and asked why he thought to put that in my box. And he said, well, I just felt led by the spirit. I said, that's a good reason. And and he shared that there's so much to think about and focus on in this world. There's too much to get overwhelmed by. Perhaps if we were to focus on the heart, we might get somewhere. Perhaps that is the call of the Christian. Perhaps that is the focus we should have, the heart. Connor said it last week about John Wesley. His chief concern, the heart. One of my professors in college used to say, everyone, everyone is doing the best they have with what they have to work with. Everyone is doing the best they have with what they have to work with. I would dismiss that statement as foolishness because I could think of 10 people that weren't doing their best. Sounds a little bit more like I was worried about the speck in your eye than I was the plank in mine. But his statement has stuck with me over the years, and the more I think about it, the more I understand what he was trying to say. His statement was a way of giving others the benefit of the doubt. His statement was in line with Wesley's concern for the heart, but his statement was mostly all about hope. Perhaps that's what makes a good mentor. They give us reason to hope, even if it seems foolish. The mission of our church is big. It's overwhelming. It's hard to wrap our brains around, and sometimes it seems silly. 
but perhaps it might not seem so foolish if we were to hope for the person sitting next to us, for those with us, for those on this journey with us. Or it may just, it may still be foolish. I don't know. Either way, we are invited to such foolishness. And such foolishness is the message of the cross. Hope. Let us pray. Gracious God, this morning I'm thankful that you would choose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise, that you would choose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. So many may think that the message of your cross, the message of salvation and resurrection is foolish. And if it is, so be it, God. I would only ask that you make us such fools for you. In Jesus' name, amen.